All right, welcome back to episode 19 of Give That Fan a Podcast. I'm Ryan. That's Paul. We have Ryan Ripkin joining us this afternoon. We'll have him on in just a couple moments. Uh, but we're going to start off with, I guess, a little plea to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think I mentioned last week, once we hit 100 subscribers on that, um, we can change the URL to something like youtube.com slash give that fan a podcast, which would be awesome, as opposed to a random jumbling of letters and numbers. Uh, new YouTube channel just debuted last week, so we appreciate any support we get on there. Um, in addition, you can find the audio versions on Utah Street Report and wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, we have a sponsor now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is pretty cool. I saw saw a little extra coin in my bank account the other day. I was like, what? Where did yeah, that come Not bad, from? right? So uh, Give That Fan a Podcast is sponsored by Birdland Sports. Go ahead and pull up our little promo code here. Uh, Josh from Section 336, I'm sure many of you are familiar with their podcast. Uh, Josh has a great line of affordably priced Orioles-themed T-shirts available for purchase at birdlandstore.com. Their Tyler Wells-inspired player nickname designs are currently being rolled out with Hillbilly Hayes and King of the Mount Castle already popular and plenty more on the way, including Paul some Give That Fan a Podcast merch, which Josh has graciously offered to sell on our behalf. These are t-shirt designs for fans by fans. You can use promo code THATFAN at checkout for 20% off your purchase at birdlandstore.com. That's birdlandstore.com, promo code T-H-A-T-F-A-N. That's all one word at checkout for 20% off your purchase. Each purchase helps support Baltimore podcasts such as ours. So head on over to birdlandstore.com and enter promo code THATFAN for 20% off. All right, let's get to it. Joining us now on Give That Fan a Podcast, his family is synonymous with Baltimore baseball. He is Ryan Ripken. He's live with us here on Give That Fan a Podcast. Ryan, good afternoon. How are you today, man? I'm good, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I know uh, we've been trying to have this in the works, and, and finally it came to fruition. So glad to be on and, and be able to talk a little baseball with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we reached out to you. We, we Paul and I just started doing this uh, together. It was just me for a while and then took a bit of a hiatus, and Paul agreed to be my co-host upon return. So we're excited to be back, excited to have our first guest since returning, and uh, and we're thrilled that it's you. So, I'm honored to be the first one, so let's let's dive into it, guys. Let's do it. So uh, my first question comes with a backstory, and I, I, you're relatively new to Twitter, so I'm, I'm sure you're, you're unaware of this. Um, a couple years ago, I tweeted out my Orioles Mount Rushmore, and my, my Orioles Fan Problems account, for those familiar with it, it's a lot of jokes. I do present some stats, some real analysis, things like that, but I joke around a lot. Um, I tweeted a couple years ago that my Mount Rushmore of Orioles was Cal Ripken Sr., Cal Ripken Jr., Billy Ripken, and Ryan Ripken, <laughs> which, of course, that's a testament to what your family name means to this organization, but it's also pretty clearly kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, most people appreciated the joke. Uh, there was one guy in particular who started calling me a racist and a white supremacist because I didn't include guys like Eddie Murray. Kind of ridiculous, but that whole interaction with other fans chiming in kind of became one of my favorite nights on Orioles Twitter. It was a, it went down in history. Uh, but that brings me, since you're in on our show, I think it's only fitting to ask you, what is your Mount Rushmore of Baltimore Orioles? Oh, gosh. Well, one, I didn't really know about that. So that's, that's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um, it was a great know. night. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm sure you got a lot of action. And, and, and that Twitter was definitely on fire that night. You know, personally, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to exclude my dad from the Rushmore because he's dad. So get him out of there. But, you know, Eddie, Eddie and Frank, Frank Robertson, Eddie Murray, uh, 
obviously tremendous players and what they did and what they accomplished only so many people ever accomplished in the game. And then, you know, Jim Palmer was a big part of the success for the Orioles early on and, and he continues to be involved with them. But, um, and then, you know, Earl Weaver, obviously, and I know that that's, it's not fair to take, you know, I know that my dad was a big part of the organization, but I do want people to realize and understand of these other accomplishments that Frank and Eddie and Jim and, and Earl, what they did was, was incredible. And, and even for a while, you know, I think people forget like Harold Baines was on the team, obviously not, you know, the Mount Rushmore for the Orioles, but, but he did just get elected in the hall of fame in the recent years. And so that's the, that I, there are some really good players that the Orioles have, have come by. And, and uh, I certainly don't forget about those guys, which I'm sure most of the Oriole fans haven't either. I will say Harold Baines, I used to love. I was one of those kids who would mimic uh, batting stances at every family party. And, and Baines was one of my favorite with the bat real low behind his back, the high leg kick. I feel like you had to. I feel like that was a staple. And people say that with my dad, Baines. He was definitely one of the guys that I, I tried to emulate uh, pretty poorly, I must say. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that swing was super sweet. I, st- I still remember a game where Mike Mussina started, and the Orioles got one hit, but it was a Harold Baines home run, and they won the game one to nothing. And I just always remember that because Mussina was my favorite pitcher, and Harold mm-hmm. Baines just had that sweet swing, and he was always just so damn good. So Harold Baines is a good one. All right, so uh, diving into a little bit more uh, current discussion, um, there was a little debate among Orioles Twitter the other day, the second game of the White Sox series. Orioles were down by two in the seventh inning. Kendall Graveman comes in. He walks Rugnet Odor on four pitches to load the bases for Jorge Mateo. None of those pitches to Odor were particularly close to the strike zone. Looked like he didn't really have a great feel for his release point when he came into the game. Mateo swings at the first pitch. Uh, it was a sinker that was breaking in off the plate toward his knees a little bit. Uh, probably ball one. Would have been a borderline call there. Uh, but he grounded into an inning-ending double play. He did hit the ball 105 miles an hour, and it took a spectacular play by Moncada down at third to prevent what probably would have been a bases-clearing double for Mateo. Um, but there was some discourse over the swing decision in, in that instance. So I wanted to ask you, uh, from a from a player standpoint, what's your approach going into the box with the bases loaded after a four-pitch walk, or just after a four-pitch walk in general? How do you feel about kind of the ambush tactic there? So I think it really depends on the situation and the scenario. And in the bat before with Odor, right, he was the guy that, that walked on four pitches. So for him, he's been having his ups and downs. He's going to try to wait to be able to essentially maybe pass it to the next guy. And so in this case, when space is loaded, I'm completely fine with the decision for Mateo to swing first pitch. He's confident in himself. He's swinging the bat really well. And to your point, Mankata made a very good play. Now, now, granted, it was a little bit more of a chopper, but he still hit 105. Makata had to go to his right, make a play, handle the bag, and make a good throw. He accomplished all that as a big play. But if you remember a couple weeks or maybe the week prior, the Little League Classic, Mateo hits the ball down the line, probably on a similar pitch. He just doesn't get to it as cleanly against Graveman that he did. Um, I forget who pitched against the Red Sox. So I'm fine with that completely. And it's also a scenario of the game. If you're down by three or more runs – or the the if you're not coming to uh, the plate to have the ability to tie the game and maybe you're not swinging it as well, I get it to try to see a pitch, especially later. But bases loaded, I think it was a one or two run game at the time. Down by I two, mean, yeah, yeah. Let them let them swing because if that ball gets by, that's in the corner. That's two runs, maybe three. Um, I think just more impressive that Mankata uh, made the play of the game. There we go. I think my my critics would agree with you. I think my reaction was a little a little knee jerk in the moment, you know. Uh, 
my my friend and I every time oh I know every time we're at a game four pitch walk my, he got mad at Adley the other day for swinging it uh, the first pitch after I think five straight balls uh, before him he he chased one up and out of the zone ended up popping out I believe but um, yeah I, I I don't know I I, I obviously default to uh, your experience as a player, uh, I didn't play past the high school level. I'm relegated to beer league softball at this point. So, so I, I appreciate that input. Well, and again, just to, to reiterate, you know, and, and these guys are at this level and it's really knowing yourself and, and some coach, it's always going to be the, what if either way that happens, if he, if he has, if he gets a hit there, everyone's praising. If he doesn't, it's always going to have doubt. But in my mind, in that it's knowing yourself, knowing the situation, and um, I'm sure more opportunities are to come up for Mateo. And I believe next time he could very well uh, find a way to, to what he has done recently, find a way to, to make a big play. Yeah, he's been great as of late. Um, so, Ryan, you came to the organization at the beginning of the 2017 season after your tenure in the Nats farm system. Mm-hmm. Um, the new regime with Michael Elias, Sig Dell, and the whole crew took over after the 2018 season and obviously heavy focus on player development analytics with the, the change in power there um, in terms of the organization and the, the kind of tactics that they use to try to um, improve player development, analytics, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what changes did you notice at first? And then what kind of came about more gradually over time? Well, initially when they came in, they wanted to try to feel out, what was there and who they had in the system. And then they wanted to try to slowly implement more and more of their, um, of, of their philosophies. Now I will say, and it's still ringing true right now, the pitching aspect was always ahead of the hitting aspect, which if you look at in the game, pitching is always going to be ahead of hitting. But that was the initial thing when I saw in, in 2019, I believe was the first season that Elias and, and SIG and the rest of the group were having the full year with the major league team and with the minor league affiliates. And so I saw a lot of impact on the pitching side. And I, you know, I don't know, I think just the analytics have seen that they just are more advanced and you can try to pinpoint that more. The hard thing, because pitching dictates what happens, the pitchers are dictating what's coming to the plate. The hitters are reacting to it. Now, the last couple of years, the Orioles then implemented more of their approach, you know, things from the hitter side and approach. And they try to calculate as much data and analytics and they try to work on swing decisions. And and a lot of that can can for me, it definitely uh, it had frustrations for me because it was different. But when you look at it, I understand why they're doing it, because you want to try to give your hitters better, better ideas of pitches to swing at try to let the borderline pitches go um, and then try to have success. But as we've seen a lot of the hitters in the minor leagues now for the Orioles, and there's a lot of talented players are, are really uh, doing well, which is a testament that what they're doing is, is working and what they're focusing on is having success. Now everyone complains though at the major league level, everything's thrown out of the window when you get to the major leagues, because the fact of the, the matter is, Hitting's going to come and go, but your pitching has to be on every, every like pitching has to be on for you to be consistent. And that's really why we're seeing what the Orioles are doing right now is because of the groundwork, the pitching set through the minors um, to this point in time. Sorry, I know that was a lot, but no, hey, um, it's, it's all right. You're, you're the guest. We want you to talk as much as you'd like. Absolutely. Well, sometimes um, if you're like, yeah, back off, be quiet, you know, all good. If you no know problem anything being about, quiet. about this show, I'm, I'm the guy who, 
every question Ryan asks me, I go on for about five to ten minutes, and the next thing I know, I'm just rambling. So it, it was a solid good. ten minute rant on Brandon Hyde last week. I I had looked at the clock. I thought. <laughs> I timed it at about six and a half minutes. I guess I didn't look at the very beginning because uh, you, you definitely had some things to say there. But uh, Ryan, your answer to that question uh, leads me into one I had a little later on, and then I'll, I'll let Paul get into a couple of his questions as well. Um, you talk about the pitching kind of has to be there every night. The hitting's going to come and go. We saw that in the Houston series. The Orioles scored six runs in three games, scored in a total of three different innings, a uh, couple home runs in game two, a two-run homer by Arias in game one, and then the ninth inning RBI single in game three. Um, but we saw some excellent starting pitching, uh, specifically Kyle Bradish, eight shutout innings on Friday. Dean Kramer almost got through eight innings on Saturday. And then Austin both pitched into the seventh, gave up that one run that was inherited by Brian Baker and ended up scoring. Um, and Spencer Watkins has been pitching well in, in addition to those guys. Didn't see him in this past series. Jordan Lyles, we know what we get from him. The starting pitching has been their, their peripheral stats are not very good, but the results have been there. What what do you see that's working for these guys? Well, so it, it kind of all ties back into. I think there's no coincidence that when Adley got called up, that definitely boosted the the whole pitching uh, staff. That they were having some success, but when he came up, there was a. Uh, it solidified what they were trying to do. And Adley calls a good game and he gives them confidence to throw any pitch up there. Now, as far as individually for those guys, for the starting pitching, it was really, you're trying to, trying to get your, your footing. And so for a guy like Kyle Bradish, who it's his rookie year, and I think people need to recognize that some of these guys are, you're trying to make your adjustments as you go. Kyle has unbelievable stuff. And I've seen it firsthand. His thing was, is getting behind in counts, or if he gets ahead in counts, not being able to put guys away and maybe leaving a mistake pitch. But usually it's it's those things or he just will walk some guys on, and as we know, walks are issues. But what's making the Orioles starting pitcher so effective is that they're filling up the zone. They are being efficient with their outings recently. I mean, even Jordan Lyles in the White Sox series, you know, he gave up seven or eight hits, I believe, but he was able to grind, be efficient. I think he threw 95 pitches and 70 were strikes. So being able to be that efficient with your pitching is important. And and make no mistake, though, um, the bullpen has been unbelievable. So the fact that there's been a couple falters with the bullpen as of recently, beside, minus Felix Batista, um, the starting pitching coming alive, is, it's at the right time because the bullpen needed a rest. So to see – the 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 Dean Kramers and the Bradishes and, and Spencer and uh, Laz, all those guys give the effort that they have is going to help the team in the long run. But it's also showing people that um, what the Orioles are doing and what these players are doing, they are willing to adapt and they're doing a tremendous job in a very, very tough um, American League East and playing the Houston Astros, obviously, this past weekend. So we've ahead, seen Paul. we've seen that with, with the Orioles for a, a, a different for different stretches throughout the season that their offense has been a little bit waning at times and and again they're, they're facing great pitchers in that Houston Astros series no doubt but the offense was lagging to say the least this past series we've been hearing all these rumors that Gunnar Henderson may be coming up and we don't know that it could, it could be Westberg it could be somebody that we haven't even been talking about that could be coming up this week um, do the Orioles does the Orioles front office if they know that they're looking to prom- promote a young prospect like a Gunnar Henderson. 
Do they have that conversation with him where they say, hey, we want to bring you up on this particular date. This is what we're trying to work on with. Or is it as much a surprise to the prospect as it is to us when they get called up? Well, yeah, they're, they're definitely not having the conversation of this is the day you're getting called up or this is the thing is, as we all know, the time is coming. And I bet for Gunner, he understands that, but they're not telling him when it's going to be. But when they're moving him around positions of the minors, that's another example of and even the manager, Buck Britton down there is probably saying, hey, they want you to play other positions because they want you to be prepared. Your time's coming, but I don't know exactly when. Mm-hmm. So I think that's to where it is right now. Um. And I think for that, people need to be patient. And Gunner obviously is a special player. And I, I am very, very high on Gunner. And, and I think that his upside could even eclipse uh, things that Adley can do offensively. And I know that that could be a shocker. However, however, people need to understand when you come up and you're in a pennant or in a playoff race, he's going to have growing pains. And look what's been going on with Kyle Stowers. Stowers got off to a slow start and then had the big home run against the White Sox. You're going to have these growing pains in this situation. So you want to make sure whenever Gunner does come up that he's going to try to play every day because mm-hmm. his development at the end of the day is the most important thing. Right. And then two expectations need to be temper or uh, uh, need to temper expectations for him because he is a 21 year old uh, kid that is going to try to learn how to be a major league hitter. Yeah. Well, and he's the Orioles. I believe he's their number one or number two ranked prospect now. And, um, Grayson Rodriguez is – I can't remember. I think Grayson Rodriguez is number two now. Gun, yeah, so Gunner's the number one overall prospect in some places in all of baseball. Right. And right. and Grayson obviously speaks for himself. If Grayson's healthy, pitching's a little bit different in my mind where the consistency in that foundation, hitting's the thing that comes and goes, which I try to tell people. Pitching has to be on. Hitting, you have the ability to fail so much. Fail 70% of the time, you're one of the best players. So uh, I hope that when the time comes for Gunner that people are excited, but people also understand that he's going to have growing pains, but he's going to turn out to be just fine. Yeah, you got, you got to temper those expectations and realize that there's going to be bumps in the road till it becomes that player that we expect him to be. Now, when I was mentioning Grayson, we just learned that he is scheduled to make a rehab start for Aberdeen on Thursday. Uh, now, the thing is, by Thursday, if the Orioles plan to use Grayson Rodriguez at the major league level and then if they get to the postseason use him then, he has to be added to the 40-man roster before Thursday. Is this a situation where you could see the Orioles adding him, then letting him pitch and rehab in the minor leagues and call him up uh, probably the first couple weeks of September? Or is it just going to be, you know what, we want to keep you down, then we're not going to add you to the roster, and then we'll bring you up next year when it's time? I mean, honestly, I could see both 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 ways. You know, I, I'm curious of how much Grayson will be ramped up. I'm sure that if the team continues to be in this race, which they're right in it, and, mm-hmm. and I suspect them to be in the race until the end, whether they make it or not, it's going to be determined on how well the Orioles finish. And, and obviously, you know, the Mariners, Rays, and Blue Jays, minus the last weekend for the Blue Jays, they, all of them have been playing some some pretty good baseball. So for Grayson, I think the time is if, if he's healthy, you add him to the 40-man because you want to have that option. And look, what I was talking about, pitching, you can have your nerves. That's why D.L. Hall got called up. You want your nerves to get out get out of your system. For Grayson, all he's done at every level has been so consistent. Now I'm sure he would have those emotions and be anxious, but if you look at his body of work, he is so consistent with what he does. I think if he's healthy, you can plug and play him up in the major leagues 
and uh, he can definitely make an impact down the, down the road only if he is uh, fully healthy and ready to do so. Now, is that a situation where you think that the Orioles more so use him out of the bullpen like they're going to do with D.L. Hall? Because then you have that, that filthy back end of your bullpen where you, now you have Grayson Rodriguez, you have D.L. Hall, and you have Felix Bautista. Uh, and that kind of gives your bullpen a little bit of a breather. Do you envision that being the role if and when they do call him up? You know, I, I don't know what, what, what Grayson or D.L.'s role would be. And, and I think I want people to remember of how good the bullpen has been. So I don't mm-hmm. think that they're going to supplant any of those guys. And I know that there's frustrations, but, uh, you know, Joey Kreibel, Kreibel, I believe. Yeah. And I played against him, but Kreibel's had an unbelievable year. You know, going from being claimed by the team and going out the way he's pitched and then Perez, Batista, those guys have earned the role and they've shown that they can handle those big situations. And I know that, but they're not perfect. They're not going to be on every night. Unless you're Felix Batista knocking on wood, he's been – um, arguably could be the rookie of the year, but he, you know, unfortunately he probably won't win it. So I think it's just, it's a luxury. If you were able to add those guys to the pen, it gives you more flexibility, but I don't think it's going to necessarily change any roles um, in the back end of the bullpen. Sure. Ryan, um, sorry, I lost my, lost my time. Oh, uh, so last year with Norfolk, uh, you played with uh, several guys who have been big parts of the Orioles success mm-hmm. this year. And uh, if you want to take this question in the, you know, the direction of some prospects who are still in the minors, that's fine. But I'm curious uh, with player performance this year, what has surprised you and what did you kind of see coming? So I'm not surprised with any of the guys that have come up and had success. Um, I think the biggest surprise, I'll first jump into team. I, I'm surprised that of what's happened this year. I don't think that anyone's expecting this to happen so much, but again, this is what happens when you're pitching Uh, can keep you in games. And if you look at statistically, it's the pitching numbers that are so drastically different from a season ago in defense, not, not so much the offense. And that's no knock to it. That's just the reality. You pitch and play defense, you're going to stay in games. So I think the pitchers and, and having some other names force their ways in, I think Nick Vespi's done a, a good job of breaking his way in. It's had solid moments, but again, he's a young pitcher. I think the most exciting thing for a lot of these guys is that in their, in, in what's considered of being more of an inexperienced uh, pitching staff, if, if, if you will, not a lot of experience in the majors, they have tremendously exceeded all those expectations. You know, Felix Batista breaking with the team, arguably a top five closer in the major leagues. Now you have Perez, who's a great pickup, Vespi, Kyle Bradish now has come and come and gone and, and, and figured it out. Dean Kramer got healthy and has found his groove the last three starts. So it's a combination. Then obviously there are more arms down below. I'm, I'm a huge believer in, in Mike Bauman. Um, and, and I know him personally. And, but those, they have so many arms down there where I don't know if it's going to be this year, but this is, they have so many things. And this is, this is a good problem to have. The Tampa Bay Rays are, are the team that's done this so well the last X amount of years is that they prepared – whenever their guys were getting called up from AAA, especially in the pitching department, that they were ready to come up. It didn't matter um, the circumstances, they were prepared. And I think we're starting to see more of that from the Orioles pitchers that have had to come up into from Norfolk to the bigs and whether they've stayed longer or not. The moment's not too big for them, and they're finding success. And I think that is going to be so vital to the team um, as they move past this rebuild part and hopefully into – 
um, contending for years to come. Absolutely. Now, I, I do want to circle back real quick uh, and just point something out that came to mind talking about Grayson Rodriguez and, and postseason eligibility, whether or not he is ready to pitch in the majors by the time the season is over. I think it's worth noting that Shane McClanahan, who up until probably a week or so ago was a, a clear front runner for American League Cy Young, he made his major league debut in the playoffs against the New York Yankees just a couple years ago. So I don't know what his his 40 man status was approaching September or coming into that season. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth noting that, that we saw that with McClanahan and now he's a, a stud and who knows, maybe it's wishful thinking, but we could see something like that with Grayson. Uh, for sure. And again, it'd be a great problem to have to discuss. It'd be a great option to have, to have Grayson. And um, a lot, a lot of teams have done that. I just wouldn't want people to expect it. It's so exciting when you hear these names and you've seen the talent and you know, it's there, but again, this is uncharted waters for everyone. Long term, it's going to be they're they're going to be big pieces. Short term, be excited, but be be understanding that players are going to have to try to figure things out. And obviously, um, uh, we've seen it happen where players can can make their debuts in the postseason. For sure. Now, I have uh, one more Orioles question for you, and then uh, we'll we'll close out with uh, a little bit of rapid fire, kind of this or that type deal. But uh, this is also inspired by a tweet that I, I saw the other day. Um, if you could take one Orioles player and max out one of their tools, who would you choose? Which tool would you turn into an 80 and why? And then if you could answer that same question, but for one of the Orioles prospects. Oh, so, so sorry. The one of the Orioles prospects that isn't on the team and one that is on the team. Sure. Whichever direction you want to take it, but I figured we go one and one. Okay. This is interesting. I, it's, it's a tough question. My, I'll give you my answer. If you need a second yeah, to think, my, I would, I would give Jorge Mateo an 80 hit tool. Um, I, oh, I think wow. that equates him to a Barry Larkin type player where he's getting on base enough to put up good stolen base numbers uh, Barry Larkin, I think his career on base percentage was around 370, uh, hit close to 300. I think Mateo with an 80 hit would be an absolute force to be reckoned with. Cedric Mullins with an 80 arm would be. It's a good one. It's like Ooh. the one thing he's missing from his game, an 80 arm for Cedric Mullins, and that's a. Yeah, that that's tough. The Mateo one really speak. You know, I wasn't thinking because I was thinking about prospects, but Mateo would be. Mateo and Mullins, those are two guys, center field and shortstop, two of the most important positions in baseball. Obviously, catching is right up there. Those are the three. Mateo, if he was able to hit, and what he's done this in the second half, if, if Mateo could could get on base and hit around 300 and steal 20 to 30 bags a year or more, that that's such an upside boost for him. So hitting's interesting for him. I, hmm, gosh, that is... Because I was going to say, is there really much more to improve with Adley right now? I don't think there is. Um, I was trying to think of more going on the pitching side. Yeah. Of, um, there's a few, like a guy who's on the team, like, and you can't do that. But I would love if, if Nick Vespi had like an 80 fastball, I think he'd be <laughs> the most, I think he'd be the most unhittable pitcher coming out of the pen because his off speed stuff is so deceptive. It's, so hard to pick up, and you see it. But the thing is, he doesn't throw as hard as some of the – if he threw as hard as Perez did, mm-hmm. um, I think you – that's another that, – he's like on a – I know haters had issues, but he'd be on a Josh Hader even higher scope. So mine would probably be, if coming out of the pen, saying Vespi 
80, 80 fastball, unhittable lefty. Uh, good luck. Did, did you get a chance to face Vespi uh, at the, the alternate site? I did not. So Vespi wasn't at the alternate site. And the, and the great thing with him, I told Vespi was, was my teammate when I came to the Orioles in 17. And we started together down in extended spring training, played together for years. And they moved him from starter to reliever, you know, back and forth. And, and he really then uh, had to reinvent himself when they had him more out of the pen. And uh, the 2021 season came around and they were still trying to figure out essentially what you're going to do with him. They liked him, but they, you know, they were trying to figure out who they have in everyone, but he definitely wasn't one of their priority guys. And he forced his way to being a priority guy. And then going into this year, same thing. It was you re-signed with the team. You got to invite the big league spring training proved to us that you can be uh, a part of this team moving forward. And he did, he dominated in the minors. So it's a really great story for him. Um, definition of don't have to be drafted high, but you work really hard to be consistent at what you need to be successful at. And, um, you know, I couldn't be happy for him. Awesome. Well, Paul, uh, before I get into these, these rapid fire, did you have any, anything else you wanted to throw in here? Uh, no, man. I mean, we, we pretty much covered it all. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave Brandon Hyde alone. I'll, I'll leave him <laughs> alone. We can move on. We can, we can get into that a little bit later. Uh, all right. So Ryan, before we let you go, uh, I wanted to, to fire off some non-baseball related, just rapid fire questions, give the fans a little, a chance to get to know you a little bit. None of these are difficult. Well, there's a couple that might be a little complex, Bring and, it on. but fun in a fun way. Uh, all right, we'll start easy. Pepsi or Coke? Neither, actually. Not a big soda guy. Sorry to disappoint. That's good, okay, though. fair enough. Uh, well, maybe you're not a breakfast guy either, but pancakes oh. or waffles? Pancakes. Okay. Uh, movies or TV shows? Movies. I guess it depends on what they are. Okay. It, dep- it depends, but growing up, it'd be movies. I could just throw it on, have it on the background, watch it all day. Favorite movie? Ooh. I loved Forrest Gump growing up. I felt like he could accomplish anything, and that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Uh, you have a lot of experience doing traveling in, in the minors. Uh, road trip or airplane? Oh, well, road trip if it's under five hours, airplane if it's over. Fair enough. I, I drove out to uh, Arizona. I moved there a couple years ago, and it's a, it's a long drive. I definitely would have preferred a flight. Have you ever, have you ever driven to Rome, Georgia? From Delmarva, from Salisbury, 13 and a half hours. Wouldn't recommend it. It does not sound fun. Sounds awful. Uh, college hoops or NBA? College hoops. Do you have a favorite team? I root for – I want to see always the local teams do well, Maryland, Towson. Uh, but I have developed more connections with UNC. My girlfriend went there. Uh, one of my best friends went there. And, and the CU Buffaloes, uh, my sister works out at, at Colorado. Okay. Uh, college football or NFL? NFL. Ravens all the way. I know you're, you're a big fantasy guy as well, right? Absolutely. I, I love it. It's just so much fun. Um, and with the Ravens coming around, it's a great August if you're a Baltimore sports fan with the Orioles and Ravens. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. Th- I have three more for you. They're a little more complex. Let's go. If you could uh, communicate verbally with either pets or babies, which would you pick? pets i think i think that's a pretty obvious one but i, I thought it was yeah. a fun question but i'm afraid of what my pet would you know if there if there was better communication what would what would they think what would i think what would happen <laughs> right um if you could pause time or rewind time which would you do 
Whew, wow. How about that? It's, it's a deep one. You gotta, you gotta like really think about that because if you're gonna rewind it, do you rewind your age too, or just time, and you stay the same age? Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, it's like you hear, you hear all the things. Like, I want to say rewind time for the sense of if you made mistakes, you can go back and 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 learn it. But it's a part of the journey in life is that you have to learn from your mistakes. So I always kind of like that uh, sentiment, even though I'd love to go back and fix my mistakes. Pausing the time would be cool to really cherish the moments. I think sometimes the great moments that you have can can come and go. And I, it would be um, something to hold on to a little bit longer. Okay. Last one for you. You're replacing a roll of toilet paper. Okay. Does the flap go over or under? This is this is a big one for me. So how did this come about of all the I, you questions? Know, I've I've had this debate with with several people in the last, the last few months of my life, it came up at a family function and then it's just, it's been on my mind. Okay. Well, cause there, there, there are people who have a strong opinion one way or the other. And then there are people who don't even pay attention to it and don't care. I, I, I that's got, for me, it's been down. I, I will say a place I live in right now, I just slide it on and off, but growing up, it was always down, always okay. down. I think were you an up guy? I'm I'm an over the top guy. I like to have my my flap coming over so I can see where the the perforation is and and where to tear it and all that. But I I understand this is a ridiculous talking point for a podcast. I just thought it was a fun question. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> Definitely haven't thought about that before. So I, I I heard something. I saw it on on one of the social media platforms that it's there. The way that the to, the toilet paper wants you to do over the top because it makes you take more and then you have to buy more. But the way to do it is underneath. Because you take less and you really only need less. I've always done over the top, but I heard that that's how you end up spending more money. Well, obviously, that's why I did under was to, <laughs> to spend less money on toilet paper. Yeah, you, um, you planned ahead. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, hey, I uh, that might be my next uh, party starter for when I'm trying to entertain uh, some friends and family. So, thank you for. For the uh, the questions. Well, believe me, you will you will find people who have strong opinions one way or the other. You could go over under. You could talk about folding it or wadding it. It's a whole there's a whole world of toilet paper conversation that's available out there if you want to go find it. <laughs> I'll just All leave right. it at this question. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, well that is uh, is Ryan Ripken. We we very much appreciate your time. I mentioned to you before the podcast, Paul and I were just going to go over a couple things, recapping the Houston series, talking about some of the minor league promotions we've seen this week. If you want to dip out, you're more than welcome to. We're happy if you stick around. It's really up to you. No harm, no foul either way. But uh, we we very much appreciate the time to answer some questions and and dive into some Orioles baseball. And you know, we we wish you the best as you uh, you continue your your newfound retirement journey. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think I got to dip off, but uh, guys, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll be talking on Twitter, and and, uh, hopefully we see a a great end for the Orioles uh, as they move into September. And Ryan, just remember, if you're doing your fantasy draft, unless you're at the end of the first round, leave Run CMC alone. Leave him alone, man. Hey, he he was not taken last night, nor did I have the option to take him last night. So definitely going to have more football talk as well. Uh, guys, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, man. All right. You can follow him at Ryan Ripkin. Thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. See ya. See you. Easy. 
All right. That was uh, an interview with, with Ryan Ripken, son of Cal Ripken Jr., of course, uh, nephew to Billy, grandson to Cal Sr. You know the name if you're an Orioles fan. Uh, we, we very much appreciate his time to, uh, to sit in with us and answer some questions. Um, Billy, is, um, Billy actually used to live across the street from me. Did he? And he came over to my house a couple of times when I was when I was a little boy uh, for um, for a Christmas party and a wine tasting. He's a, he was a lot of fun. Oh, very nice. I I, I didn't want to get into anything about you know I've I've worked for for Rick and Baseball a couple of different times. I've done the Chevy mm-hmm. tour and then I worked up at the complex uh, during COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, my my one I never got to meet Cal or Billy, uh, but. Billy did hook our group up with tickets uh, in a pretty nice, pretty nice tickets to a Cardinals Cubs game at Bush Stadium when we were nice. out on the Chevy tour a few years ago. So uh, shout out to, to Uncle Billy for that one. Uh, something I wanted to add, by the way, you're um, giving 80 grade tool to any player. 80 command for DL Hall. Yeah. If you had an 80 command for DL Hall, that's a dude that. He, he's a. 15 times Cy Young, yeah. I would think. Oh my God! Oh my God! Eight yeah, great command. Woo. I think that's that's a that's a pretty easy answer. I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Deal Hall, and the big issue with him over the past several years with him in the farm has been the lack of command. So you you throw an 80 on that, you've got a, an absolute stud. And and who knows? Some guys it, it just clicks at some point, and and that could be the case with Deal Hall. Obviously, we like hope for it Randy is. Johnson and Jim Palmer. And absolutely. Ryan. Yep. Yeah, Randy Johnson's a big one for sure. Yeah. Um, if and if if DL Hall is is in any way, shape, or form comparable to Randy Johnson, the Orioles have done something right. Yep. So, Paul, the Orioles took two out of three in Houston. We yeah. we talked about talked about this a little bit. The offense scored a total of six runs. They scored in a total of three different innings out of twenty-seven. A lot of guys on base but a huge inability to bring them home. I was away this weekend, so I wasn't watching much of the games. I was following them on my phone, and it felt like every time I went in to check what was happening, I saw that Cedric Mullins led off the game with a single, stole second base, Adley got on, and then we stranded him. And that seemed like a common theme throughout many innings in that Houston series. Um, Paul, it, it, it's a point we've hammered home before, and it's it's coming to fruition again. The Orioles need to figure out how to hit consistently with runners in scoring position. Well, the, the, it was a um, – they had so many wasted opportunities in this series. You mentioned the Friday night game. I look at yesterday's game. You got – like, look, they, they were talking about how good Verlander was yesterday in his three innings. And he left with, with a calf strain. Um, but I think he's going to be all right. It was more of a precautionary thing. But they were talking on um, MLB Central this morning about how nasty he was. I thought the Orioles had him on the ropes yesterday. I, I, I've seen him look better. He got himself into trouble through a lot of pitches. He had 60 pitches and through three innings. Um, and he threw 28 pitches in that first inning, and the Orioles let him off the hook. Mullins uh, reaches on that. It was originally ruled an error, and then it was changed to a single. Rutschman gets a single after Mullins steals second base. And I, I was like, how did Mullins not score from second on a base hit? And then I saw it because I, I was doing something else when he got the hit. And I saw it we barely got over the, the infielder's head, so we had to wait to see that it dropped. So you have runners on first and third with nobody out. And then Santander strikes out. Mountcastle strikes out, one of the worst at-bats of the year. Uh, and then Austin Hayes strikes out on a curveball that he missed by a solid two feet. Mm-hmm. And the thing about those three strikeouts, not only did they not put a ball in play with your three, four, five hitters, but 
they all struck out, and Verlander threw five pitches to the three of them that would have been called strikes had they not swung. So they got themselves out, and Mount Castle especially. He swung at a pitch that was so high for strike three, it wasn't on the pitch tracker on the MLB app. That's Are you how kidding high, me? That, that's how high the pitch the, – the, the pitch that he swung at for strike two, you could only see the bottom half of it at the top of the, of the pitch track. The one they swung at for strike three isn't even on the screen. It's not there. That's how, I mean, the, the pitch was like mouth high that he swung at. And these guys are getting themselves out. And a lot of times it seems like – I don't want to say the moment's too big for them because they're major league baseball players, right? And they're there for a reason. But it seems like they're just pressing so much. And it's, it's the same thing that happened to them when uh, Rasmussen took a perfect game into the ninth inning against him a couple of weeks ago. And that's not to take anything away from Rasmussen, but the Orioles – they had something like six different single-digit innings, um, uh, pitches thrown um, by Rasmussen in different innings because they were just way too aggressive and they were trying to do too much instead of just put a ball in play and work a count. And they really let Verlander off the hook. He could have walked all three of those guys, and you have runs that way. I know I'm rambling on again here. It's just they're way too aggressive in big situations, and it hurts them. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I'm, I'm glad you, you told me that because I, you know, like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch uh, much of the action. I caught the, I was able to stream the last couple innings of Friday and Saturday night's games, but I was in the car on Sunday and I, I had no idea that that Mountcastle was chasing pitches over his head. But it's, oh, it's. Santander's at bat wasn't much better. I actually posted after the at bat. I was like, I don't know if that was a good at bat by Santander or not because he saw seven pitches, he swung at all seven pitches. And I think two of them were strikes. He, he, he swung at – he fouled a bunch of pitches off, and the last two pitches he swung at were nowhere near the strike zone uh, that, that he struck out on. And it's like you saw seven pitches, but you swung at like six balls. For, for an organization that hammers the point home of making good swing decisions, they have not been great as of late. Yeah. Um, another, another thing from yesterday, Paul, uh, Brandon Hyde goes to Brian Baker in the seventh inning. Game was tied 0-0. Runner on first base, uh, Kyle Tucker coming up, Dylan Tate and CNL Perez both available after pitching, after sharing in one inning on Friday night. Uh, neither threw a bunch of pitches. Tate threw, I think, I think he struck out Mancini on three pitches to end that game. Mm-hmm. Felix Bautista had pitched an inning and a third uh, for the save on Saturday, but uh, I think he only threw about 15 or 16 pitches in that outing as well. So you've got a fresh bullpen and off day on Monday. The decision to go to to Brian Baker there, I, I simply don't understand. I don't understand how Brian Baker and Joey Crable have been your relievers that have struggled the most in the last month, and they're the first two options with everybody pretty rested. And uh, so I, I, I'm with you on that. And, and look, Brian Baker, the stuff is there, right? The stuff is there, but his issue, just like D.L. Hall, is a lack of command. And we continue to see him come into these games. I think that's the sixth time since the end of July, he's come into a game where the Orioles had a one-run lead or they were tied or they were down by a run, and he came in, walked the first hitter, and then gave up a base hit. And at what point does Brandon Hyde say, all right, man, I can't keep putting you into these situations. I can't use you here. Uh, Dylan Tate, and especially when he comes in and the first batter that he faces is Kyle Tucker and he immediately falls behind 3-1. Kyle Tucker's a left-handed hitter, and I don't know what his splits are, but you have CNL Perez rested, who's warming in the bullpen. Uh, how, how do you not bring in Perez to face Kyle Tucker there? That's, uh, you need that big out. Now, look, 
people are right when they say the Orioles didn't score runs. That's not on the pitching staff. It's on the Orioles. Right. I mean, they, they lost that game yesterday 3-1. to one. Three runs, you should win that ball game. But, right, but when you're in a situation where they haven't scored any runs either, bring in the guy who are best suited. Maybe one day Brian Baker figures out the command issues, figures out how to throw strike one, and he's not putting you in a tough situation. But he hasn't proven to do that yet. So using Baker there with the rest of the bullpen, there's just no explanation for it. I went off. I said yesterday on Twitter that uh, Brandon Hyde couldn't justify a punt lineup yesterday, so we decided he had to mess it up by bringing in Baker and Crabwell as his first two relief options. And <laughs> I've been really hard on Hyde, and uh, maybe he does need a little bit more experience and, and deserves to get the opportunity to have that experience. But I just these are these are moves to me that you you can't justify when you have better arms in the pen ready to go. I'm with you. And and Kyle Tucker, by the way, uh, 891 OPS against right-handed pitching, 676 against lefties. Why is so, Baker the guy there? Why is it, Baker the guy there? It, it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I was stuck in traffic at the time, so I was able to fire off a tweet about how confused I was with that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply, I, I simply do not understand it. Uh, but let's move on to something a little happier. Yeah. We've got some uh, promotion. They, they, they won the series. Like, nobody's yes. disappointed oh, yeah. about like they, they lost that game yesterday, and the reason that people are upset with the loss is because it was a winnable game. You're going up right. against Verlander. You have him on the ropes, and you don't break through against him. The bullpen decisions were questionable at best, in, in our opinion. And it was a, it was a winnable game. We're, we're very happy that they went into Houston and took two or three. That's freaking awesome. They've won four straight series in seven of eight, right? Like, that's awesome. But you had an opportunity to sweep, and it's the same reason we were upset that they didn't sweep the Blue Jays with that lineup that I put out a couple of weeks ago. You have an opportunity to win these games, and you need to win every game that you can. Uh, that's a game that's winnable yesterday, and that's why we're upset. We're not, you know, looking a gift horse in the mouth because they didn't sweep when they took two out of three. Right. If you if you tell any of us on Friday morning that the Orioles are about to take two or three in Houston against the best team in the American League with spectacular starting pitching, yeah, you're, you're over the moon thrilled with, with that yeah. result. It, it it always just it leaves a a bitter taste in my mouth when you when you have a chance to sweep and and you throw it away like that. But nonetheless, uh, a successful series again. Um, you have to be thrilled with that result. Very exciting that the Orioles are able to hang with a team like the Houston Astros. And uh, you know you you move on and you live and you learn and you hope to to take the next series uh, in Cleveland. It's a three game set starting on Tuesday. That comes before a ten game home stand. That, that's going to be a tough series because they got Cal Quantrill in game one. They got Tristan McKenzie in game two and then Shane Bieber in game three. So it could be another – hopefully they can win two or three like they did in Houston because um, they're going to need to get the pitching because the bats yeah, – I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. The bats, this offensive slumber could continue. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they're able to – Steal at least a game or two in Cleveland. Stay in the thick of the wild card hunt. Cleveland leads the AL Central by a, a couple games at this point, uh, but a, a series that the Orioles need to go in and and not uh, falter. I guess I, sh- I should say. Yeah. Better news, Paul. Uh, minor league promotions that we've seen roll in on Monday morning. Colton Cowser and Joey Ortiz both getting promoted from Double A Bowie to Triple A Norfolk. Daryl Hernandez promoted to Bowie from Aberdeen. Uh, Judd Fabian promoted to Aberdeen after just 14 games where he is OPSing over 1,300 in his professional career so far. And the big news, which we talked about a little bit with Ryan, Grayson Rodriguez scheduled to rehab at Aberdeen on Thursday. Paul, the big 
thing that stands out to me here is there has to be a corresponding move from Norfolk. They have eight active infielders as it stands now after the Joey Ortiz promotion. Do, I, I don't, we, we don't have an answer to this question, but do we see Gunner? Do we see Jordan Westberg? Do we see, I don't know, DJ Stewart? Who, what, what, what are they, what are they planning here? What do you think? People would, you would assume it would be Gunner. Um, and I'm just I'm just thinking about this right now. I could see the Orioles adding Gunner to the forty man, but not calling him up tomorrow. Adding it because you got like those three pitchers I just mentioned in Cleveland. Then they go home and they have three games against the A's over the weekend. And you could see a Gunner Henderson promotion on Friday, get some fans out into the stands and give him an opportunity to debut against the lesser team and get his feet under him. Um there's there's going to be a corresponding move tomorrow, I would imagine, because like you said, they have eight infielders. Maybe it's I, – I, I don't even know. Like I said, it's, it, you're thinking it's Gunner, but if it's not, that wouldn't surprise me either. Right. Maybe they just, they just hang on to him for a little bit. I just I, – right now, the way that they've operated tells me that Gunner's no lock to be here tomorrow. Like, like he's right. no lock. So every every day we've expected the call up to happen, it has not happened, and that's been the case with every prospect this season. Mm-hmm. Every time us fans on Twitter are clamoring for a certain guy, it's never the day we hope. I've I bought tickets to what I thought was going to be Adley Rutschman's debut several times before it actually happened, and I'll probably do the same with with Gunnar Henderson if he's not up by the beginning of this this upcoming homestand, ten game homestand starting after the series in Cleveland. Yeah, it's a big one because after you you got three against Oakland, and I, honestly I think you need to find a way to sweep that series. I think then so you, too. Then you got four against Toronto and three against Boston. Those are all games that that are going to have a serious say in playoff seating and if you can get in. So they need they need to do some some work here on this on this homestand. Let me ask you this, Paul. If if you think. So right now, I, I don't know the answer to this question. Is the Orioles 40-man still at 39 players, or is it at 40? Do you no, know? because they – I can't remember who they Oh, they, they claimed added. Phoenix Sanders. I think right. that made yeah. it 40. Yeah, that, that, that made it 40. So you've got a couple of guys. You could um, DFA, ROs. Um, you could, I mean, Nevin would be the move to, to bring down, to bring somebody else up. Um but you you have to DFA some guys. I don't have the forty man roster in front of me. I can pull that up. There um, there are a few possibilities. I mean, yeah, I think there's always a few possibilities. Right? I think Arauz is definitely a prime candidate for that. I don't see them DFAing Tyler Nevin quite yet. Well, no, they they, they would they would option him. They would option up. him, right? right. But to, to clear a spot on the forty, there there's a few pitchers that are kind of fringe four A guys who I could see going. Travis Lakin Sr. Is, is coming back on rehab. I don't think he has a role on this team. I could see him being the odd man out. Keegan Aiken could be a guy DFA. It's possible. Been, he hasn't been good since May. And you've got D.L. Hall coming up basically to take that, that, that spot for him. I could 100% see him being DFA'd. Uh, Rico Garcia is another guy. Lewis Head. Um, th- those are some guys that you really don't see a fit. Uh, Denji Reyes. Um, those are guys that you don't really see a fit for. And then as far as position players are concerned, I think Arauz is a prime candidate. Uh, Yasniel Diaz is a huge candidate to be DFA. He's a huge candidate to be a DFA. So they have some options. They have some guys that probably don't figure in to what they're trying to do that they can, that they can DFA and probably sneak them through and, and keep them in the organization. So it's, it's one of those things that's 
what the whole this whole season what I have learned and this includes all the beat writers all the all the sports talk radio hosts all the TV show hosts when it comes to prospects nobody knows anything that's not named Michael Elias nobody knows anything so it's it's we're always in a wait and see approach here yeah he he keeps things very close to the chest it's frustrating his fans but I'm I'm sure he has his process, as we all know he do. I just pulled up the banner on the bottom of the screen with the standings. I've I forgot to uh, do that beginning of the show. I'm trying to figure out getting Ryan in here and and all the all the tech stuff I'm still working on. I think I need to hire a producer to handle the stream yard while I just talk. I think that's the way to do this. Yeah, you can uh, you can use that, that that new sponsor money that you yeah. got. We're going to have some t-shirts up there. I, I, I have to text Freddie, who did the logo for us, and make sure that's cool with him before we start you know, selling. Obviously, I'll offer him royalties on that. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a Give That Fan a Podcast t-shirt available at birdlandstore.com. Remember, you can use promo code THATFAN for 20% off your purchase. Paul, that's that's going to be a wrap for episode 19. Well, Thank you. Oh, sorry, I, go ahead. I, no, I, I do want to – we didn't really talk too much about the Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz promotions. Oh, right, right, right. You know, and, and, and do I, do want, I, I do want to talk about that because Colton Kowser, he was hitting 258 at high A. They promoted him to double A anyway, and all he did was go up there and hit 352 with 10 home runs in 49 games and OPS off the charts. Um, Joey Ortiz, the glove. When I was doing Glenn Clark radio earlier this year, I think we had Keith Law on the show, and he said Joey Ortiz he thought would be the Orioles starting shortstop by midseason uh, because that glove is that special. And the bat, he's been in, he's hit 355 since July. Um, so he deserved the promotion up there too. Like you said, they, they, they now have eight infielders uh, on that roster there in Norfolk. But these are guys, Ortiz, I don't know that he'll ever be more than a utility guy, but Colton Kowser is a guy who I think if they've called him up to the majors right now, could hold his own with, with, the, with his hit tool and his selectivity at the plate. That's a guy I think could, I think that he could come to the majors right now and be successful, and I think he has a huge chance to make the Orioles opening day, maybe not opening day roster next year, to be a part of the Orioles for a bulk of the season next year. I think so too, and I I can certainly attest to Keith Law being a massive Joey Ortiz fan. He was on this Mm -hmm. podcast a couple years ago. Big fan of Joey Ortiz. Uh, I I had him on. You know what I need to do, Paul? I need to get Buster Olney on this show, because I think that's just kind of what I do. I got Keith Law on the podcast when he had released his farm system rankings, and had the Orioles outside the top 10 when everywhere else they were consensus top two or three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get Buster on and just kind of pick his brain and, and see how he is adjusted to the Orioles' success this season. I know he gets berated on Twitter with just about every tweet. Uh, I might reach out to him again because I did before and I didn't hear back, but maybe maybe we'll try one more time. I've, as unbelievable as it may seem, I've kind of left Buster alone. Most of the oh, year. Oh, yeah. I, I'm kind of. I kind of don't care anymore. Yeah, it, it's it's. Look, a it's for clicks. He and, and and he gets those clicks, and his opinion is still the same. He's probably happy for Orioles fans that the Orioles are playing so well, but he's probably pissed off that they have such a low payroll and they're playing so well because oh, it, yeah. goes, it, it it goes against what he believes, you know, and. He's not wrong. Tanking is bad for baseball. Maybe good for that particular team, but it is bad for baseball. Uh, we just hate it that he says it because it's about the Orioles. He's saying it about the Orioles. But I'm done with the whole. Hey, Buster, are the Orioles still bad for baseball at eight games above 500 or wherever they are? Like, whatever, man. He doesn't care what you think. Like, right. he, like he's Buster only. He doesn't give two flying s's about 
about what we think. So yeah, I, I, think be, I think it'd be fun to have him on the show and, and, and get his, uh, his actual thoughts on what's going on here. Yeah, we'll see. It, it might be a little bit of a dream at this point, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I don't mean to, to gloss over my notes. I, I'm, am I forgetting anything? Or are we, uh, I'm, I'm a little jumbled because I had my notes for the interview and then. No, man, I, I, I think we pretty much touched on everything. I do think that we need to be prepared for not being Gunner called up tomorrow just because of who they're facing in Cleveland for three days. I think that if they do call him up, it's more likely to be Friday when he can have a better chance to get his feet under him. But other than that, man, I think we – and we even touched on that. So I'm, I'm pretty redundant, I've realized. So. so I think I am too. It's something I need to work on. I also need to work on not saying uh between thoughts because I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I first started the podcast, I would go back in Audacity, download the audio, and – edit out every time I mumbled before a new thought. Wow. I don't have the energy for that anymore. Who does? So I, it's, it's, a, it's a change I need to make within myself where I, I have to think about not using filler language my mom, when I'm God, transitioning between thoughts. God bless her. She tunes in for most of my shows. And she had a point was telling me, you're saying, oh, way too much. And so my mom is one who really hammered it home for me so that I would – and I probably still say it too much, but I, I've gotten a lot better. It used to be uh, uh, uh between every thought. So it's hard, man, because we do it in normal conversation too. So Exactly. Well, uh, to your mom, I apologize if my my use of uh is, is frustrating to you. I will try to hone it in a little bit and, and do better. Uh, that's going to – see, I just did it again. That's going to be a wrap for episode 19 of Give That Fan a Podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link will be in the description. We need to hit 100 followers at some point on YouTube. We'll be posting every episode from here on out on that channel. Thank you again to Ryan Rifkin for joining the podcast this afternoon. Thank you, as always, to Derek and Tony at Utah Street Report for hosting the pod. We'll see you next week. Go Give That uh, Fan. Subscribe. Yes, please. (laughs) See you next week on Give That Fan a Podcast.